Hey, everybody. It is Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another fun episode of the Serpent Sales Podcast. This one's going to be interesting for sure. Um, got to go through some of our new stuff, but uh, eventually we will, in just a minute, uh, introduce our guests. Um, and yes, it's guests. I think, Scott, it's the first time we've had other podcast people yeah. and where they actually co-host their own podcast. So uh, we'll yes. leave that mystery there. But yes. um well, you know, as I go through the, the standards of what we got to do these days, we want to give a shout out to the HubSpot Podcast Network. We appreciate all that they're doing um, to help the sales community. We appreciate what they've done to add us to the network. Um, it's almost funny. I want to call them our co-hosts. Our co-hosts for this episode uh, are also part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. However, before we get to them, I want to uh, just give a shout out to our good friend, Jason Bay, who we've known for a while. Uh, he's put on some great conferences. He has an amazing podcast also um, where he brings on sales leaders and sales experts um, and even reps to talk about actionable tips and strategies. So if you haven't checked out Jason Bay's uh, podcast, which um, I think he's done topics with um, call reluctance, he's done um, crastination, he's done things um, on, on other hacks and trips, trick, tricks in the mindset space. Uh, and so he's had a lot of good friends on that on that we know. His podcast is called Outbound Squad. So please check out Jason Bay Outbound Squad. I'm sure you can find it in you know all twelve thousand places. You can find HubSpot or you can find uh, podcasts as well as HubSpot in twelve thousand places. Um, and again, thanks to the HubSpot and the podcast network. Now let me introduce Leanne and Al Elliott. People say that Scott and Richard sound like an old married couple. These are a, these folks are a married couple. I don't know that they're old, but they are a married couple who host their own podcast, also part of the Hub, HubSpot podcast network called Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture. It is Leanne and Al Elliott. Um, welcome to the show. We appreciate y'all coming on board. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're really excited about this. Yeah, um, this is, I mean, there's so many firsts in this one. One, another podcast host where they're actually co-hosts one an actual married couple as opposed to Richard and Scott who are not married just sound married um and then what's really cool is that Leanne is a and correct me if I'm wrong a business psychologist who really understands the psychology of building and running organizations and teams and sales teams in particular Al is uh the business brain behind it all and he says he likes to geek out on all the podcast technology and stuff so um he brings that side together. So thank you. Longest two minute intro I think I've ever done. Well, let's get to it. So first question, how long have y'all had your pod plans? Hmm. We've got, we've got two podcasts. Okay. That was the question. How long we had the podcast? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we've got two podcasts. We started one, a travel one, um, back in about 2017. Um, because we we travel full time, so we just spend six months in any one place, and then just up sticks and off go and find somewhere else. Scott, um, they're and, living the dream. Wow! Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just want to talk about that the rest of the time. <laughs> we, oh, we can, can do can. that if you want. Yeah. We can. So we started that. We uh, we we sort of we'd got to about sort of forty countries in nine years or something or eight years. Forty countries, about one hundred and fifty Airbnbs. And we thought we need to start talking about this. So we basically just got a couple of microphones, sat there talked stuck it on podbean and it kind of took off a little bit you know it was, it was doing sort of like sort of twenty thousand downloads in the previous year which we didn't do any promotion so we're starting to get some organic reach with that 
And then when we started our consultancy, um, which is around Leanne's expertise of organizational psychology, we just said, what do we know? We know the truth. We know the podcast world. So we started the Truth Lies podcast, Workplace podcast. I should be better at saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and when was that? Uh, so Truth and Lies was last summer, maybe July time. Um, and we got picked up by HubSpot in October. Yeah, that's really cool. So what made you want to do that one? What made you go Truth Lies and Workplace Culture, which I love, one, I love the title, so good. I love the fact that it's about workplace culture. What made you decide that was the topic you wanted to focus on? I think for our consultancy and, and kind of what we do, workplace culture encompasses everything. Because yes, we cover talent acquisition, we cover leadership, we cover engagement, we cover well-being, but it all kind of comes under the umbrella of workplace culture. And I think as well, when you're talking to business leaders, not our typical customers are usually owner-led businesses, around about 50 people, um, don't typically have much background in in people. They've usually built their business through an expertise like sales or marketing or digital. Whereas workplace culture is a term they understand and they kind of understand what it means and when we were kind of meeting new clients that what usually what they'd come to us with is I need help with my culture and a bit digging we'd realize actually need help with engagement or well-being or leadership um, but in terms of the actual title that that was no mistake um I, I, you might appreciate this so um there's a book called the four hour work week by and I've forgotten his name bald head did the four hour it'll come to me um it wasn't me but I do have a bald head. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't you. Um, and um, and basically, he got this idea that for the book, the book was started was was originally called uh, Drug Dealing and Other Ways to Make Money or something. And his publisher wouldn't allow him to do it. So he said, well, I did ran some Google ads to find out what what would be the best Google to a best book title. So we did the same. So we had we started off Pride in Your People as the podcast. And then I ran uh, about four Google ads for about a week, display ads, and just saw which one got the most clicks. And Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture got the most clicks consistently, even when I started taking the losers out. So it ended up that that was clearly what the audience had told us was um, the, the perfect title. And um, you're not the first person to say that. So I wish I could say, oh, it came to me while I was sitting on a mountaintop, cross-legged, just <laughs> manifesting my podcast, but it didn't. But no, it, just... it came over a very long list, over maybe too many beers in the sun and then some Google ads. Yeah. Well, it's better than saying ChatGPT told me. Well, ChatGPT oh. wasn't around then. Well, I'm sure it yeah. was, but it wasn't available to the public. But we did actually go through all the top 100 podcasts and I did them put them all in a spreadsheet, the titles, to try and see a theme. And some of them, which were like this and this, seemed to do quite well. So uh, that gave us the, the, the kickoff. But That's a more scientific approach than I've taken to virtually anything in my life, Richard. Right. <laughs> well, how did you so. with, your, with your title? Uh, well, we were already running the Surf and Sales Summit, the events. Right. And so it was Richard's idea to spin off a, a podcast. And he was, I don't know if he had any names, but he was like, we have to think of a name. And I said, we already have a brand of surf and sales. Why don't we just call it the surf and sales podcast rather than trying yep. to recreate, you know, a new brand from scratch. And so that was like a two minute conversation. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And, and, and you can already tell, wow, they haven't thought much more about it since then. For you. <laughs> That's right. So, I want to I want to ask about the differences in business culture from one part of the world to the next. You're, you're running um, a consulting business, for example. I'm sure the way that you prospect people in EMEA is different than North America or different than APAC. 
And the way that you create culture in these different geographies is a little bit different. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the geographic differences in, uh, in business culture and, and how to approach and work with you. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it comes down to, and I was, I was actually having this conversation with, um, with Sonia Thompson from Inclusion Marketing, who's also on the network. And we were kind of saying that if we think about the definition of culture, there's many, there's many, we can never agree. But the, the definition that we both really like is culture is defined by the worst behaviors tolerated in that it doesn't matter how much positive things you try and do and supportive things and productive things and collaborative things. If you have pockets of toxicity within your business where these these more disrespectful behaviors live. So when you think about it in terms of behaviors, that's where we can start to see cultural differences slightly in terms of what's acceptable in terms of a disrespectful behavior versus a more respectful behavior. So for example, I think we were joking before we start pressing record in the UK, we swear a lot, you know, shit and, and all the others are just part of our day stay language. I don't know how many I can say. I was wondering where you're going to go with that. Just how far up the tree? <laughs> I'll, just, I'll, I'll leave you with that. Um, whereas, you know, there's going to be some some workplaces, some some people, whether it be demographics or, or cultures um, or ethnicities that will find profanity offensive. So I think it kind of comes down to, whereas each culture and each behavior can can be slightly different and be informed by the norms and customs of the and the culture of the country that you're in, the actual kind of methodology to get to what those acceptable behaviors are is actually a similar process. And that comes down to conversation. It comes down to speaking to your employees, what behaviors are acceptable, what aren't, what behaviors reflect our values, what behaviors reflect the way we want to speak to each other, to our customers. Um, and I think it, regardless of whether, you know, you want to be in a, a male dominated environment where banter and swearing is just how we communicate, or if actually you're in a much more, um, more sensitive work environment in terms of how we communicate with each other, how we um, request work or request collaborations, that kind of doesn't matter. It's more about having the agreement uh, collectively um, and upfront and then policing that in a way that if behaviors start to drift into something that isn't acceptable or is disrespectful, um, that that's not tolerated and, and that's nipped in the bud. I want to I want to go back to one thing. I want you to repeat what you said. Culture is defined by the worst behavior. Say that again. I thought that was really eloquent. Um, Culture is. It reminds me of Scott, by the way. Like that's how he thinks about stuff. So. Right. Perfect. Yeah. So it's actually a psychologist called John Amici. Um. So he's British. Actually, sp um, played in the NBA though. Um, he okay. played for the Orlando Magic. Ah, you know John Amici. Excellent. Yeah. He's an amazing. Amazing psychologist and very influential globally, but especially in the UK. And his definition is behavior, um, culture is defined as the worst behaviors tolerated. That's really good. Scott, do you see it that way? Like, that sounds yeah. like something you would say. Yeah, I'm not that smart, though. I wouldn't say it that way. <laughs> I, I would have flubbed it somewhere along the line. But um, yeah, <clears throat> I, I'm impressed that... Uh, that somebody like John who had, had gone through all the things that he's gone through, if you know about his life, um, he's gone through quite a lot and done a lot of things that are very brave and challenging um, that not, you know, somebody like myself has, hasn't gone through. And so he's coming from experience, I imagine, when he says that, being a part of different organizations and, you know, being somebody that can 
be part of the protective element of creating a culture and be somebody who had the opportunity to be a, a victim and on the other side of something that could have gone gone wrong. So um, it's a very cool uh, quote from him. I, I want to know about the number one lie about business culture that everybody believes is true. <laughs> I'm going to start with a baby lie. And that is that um, letting people go home an hour early on Friday or having pizzas for lunch on Friday makes a great culture. And yes, perhaps 15 years ago when no one was doing it, then that would be a thing. But now it's so transparent that if you're working people literally like 8 till 8 p.m. at night, they have to answer emails at the weekend and all you do is throw $100 at getting four, four 10 pizzas in on a Friday afternoon. People know that that's bullshit. It's yeah. just a, it's just you know, oh, we'll throw a little something at them and, and show we appreciate them. Yeah. Have you got another one? No, I, I think that's a really good one, actually. Like you say, yeah, ping pong tables in the break room, that, that's going to mean we have a fun culture and there's so much more that goes into it than that. I think the other lie is maybe that it's, I guess maybe sometimes I, I hear culture kind of being defined from the top down. And I think that is true. But as I said, I think unless you unless that's infiltrated into every part of your business in terms of operations and process in terms of how you hire people, how you engage people, how you manage people, um, then culture is going to be created further down. Culture exists, whether you, you intend for it to exist or not. Mm -hmm. So saying, well, I'm, a, I'm the leader and these are my values and this is the culture we have. Probably not. I think that, I think that works up into a certain size and scale of your organization and then you lose immediate control of it. And then it has to be emulated by other people who are doing some of the roles and functions that you might have been doing when there was just like a five person business. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's that famous this research that shows that when you get to um, more than 70 people in an organization, village, whatever, then they split off into different sort of villages or teams. And 70, yeah. I think 72 is the number. It's in, it's in one of the Tom Peters books. That's going back a bit. It's one of the Tom Peters books who talks about 72 is the magic number where you will start to split into, into different tribes. And then what, what you're saying there is you've got two potentially different cultures in different tribes. So it's even more difficult to manage that culture. And you can, it's okay to have microcultures, isn't it? But overall, as you said, that definition of, the worst behavior that you tolerate is still just rings true. And I think the other one, one final lie, which is in your world, I think, because I've done door-to-door -door sales, I've done phone sales, I've done inbound, outbound back in my youth. Um, and, um, and I think one of the biggest lies is that sales cultures are all about, you know, they're like boiler room mm -hmm. film and they're just like, you've just got to just, you know, pitch, pit, don't pitch the bitch, ring and what's, what's that phrase they say? Just keep ringing and you ring and- Smile and dial. That's the one I'm thinking of. And there's, there's so many different ways these days where sales cultures are just great places to be where everyone celebrates the other wins and stuff. And I think that people just, some people look at sales as a way of, and this is what I'm going to have to just be one of those pictures every single day. And I just, I don't think that is true in, in, in a lot of new organizations. Yeah, I, I agree. I've got, I have so many questions. I have questions around microcultures. How do you redefine a culture? Um, you know, sales cultures versus other teams. Like I've got, I've just, I got, I'm trying to figure out where to go with it. Um, <laughs> I, I think my, my next question is you, you think you built a culture, right? And, and, you know, aside from contacting you, which they should, everybody should go after 
to Leanne and Al and 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 get their help. Um, where do you how do you redefine it? Like how do you even start, right? Which is different than how do I do it if I'm a startup and I've only got ten employees, right? Like is there a way to sort of give some tips and ideas to people of like, okay, if you're at this phase, this is it. If you're at this phase, this is it. And then I have a follow-up question, which is as I interview, how do I figure out what my new company's culture is? So, um, but I first want to sort of start with, with the other part. Like, mm, where do you right. start? So where do you start? That's it. Yeah. It's, it is, it is the, probably the, most frequently asked question that that we get where do you start and i think there's a couple of things to kind of frame the answer and kind of alluding to what we've already spoken about they will get to a point as a leader you're probably not going to have a very accurate idea of what your culture actually looks like and kind of lived every today today experiences um so we're, we're going to need to do a bit of a, a, a deep dive assessment into into that and i think secondly recognizing that culture is a living breathing evolving thing and it can feel natural to want to protect that culture as you grow um but it, it also needs to needs to evolve the culture that that got you where you are is probably not going to be the culture that gets you to where you want to be in terms of growth and aspirations five ten years down the line so i think in terms of starting places and again it was actually john amici that said this that was you know the most powerful thing that you can do to understand how to get to where you want to be is understand where you are right now and that's where it comes down to employee insight surveys and they're not sexy you know it really doesn't sound very sexy to go do you know what we need to do we need to run a survey and ask all your people lots of questions about how they feel and think about work but that's what we do um, but do they but do the employees like i feel like people do that you know maybe i'm a gen xer and i'm like oh, fucking in survey are they really going to tell the truth are they really going to share do you tell well, the truth depends. in those surveys, Richard? I think I, I think I think most people probably give eighty percent, right? Like you know, it's you know, in my consulting world, Scott, you know, I'll tell the truth. When I was an employee, I get nervous about, well, is this going to put me on someone's radar because I'm the whiner or the complainer, mm -hmm. right? I hate this person or my boss talks to me like I don't think that stuff. I think people are reserved about that part. So that's why I was asking, are people truthful? I think there's three clever ways that Leanne's devised to uh, to, to to overcome this. There's pressure. There's a three. <laughs> I think a two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think particularly if you are experiencing aspects of toxicity within your culture, then you're not going to have what's called that psychological safety there. And that's what people need to feel able to be honest and open about how they're feeling about things without this fear of, of negative consequence. The way that we approach it is assuming that that is the case, assuming that this environment has not been set up from the beginning to um, accommodate this very open and very candid feedback. So the survey that we run for one is third party, we're external to the organization. Two is completely confidential. We don't ask for anyone's name or email address or identifying factors. If people, largely it's quantitative data, so we're not collecting um, any kind of specific details of people in their jobs. Um, where we do have that, those comment sections, they're all completely redacted to protect somebody's identity. That can be from somebody calling out their manager who they think is shit to, oh, you know, I, I wish I could finish work early on a Friday because it would be nice to spend time with my two kids. Any kind of information that can identify a person, we remove. 
And all of that data is then presented completely confidentially um, to the, the leadership team. There's no identifying factors. And then what we can also do within the tool that we've developed is it's a predictive model of workplace culture and engagement. So the science of it is we know that if things like peer support are really high in, in an organization, we should see similar feelings and behaviors reflected, things like belonging, things like organizational commitment, things like discretionary effects, role effort. We should be able to see that pattern follow through. If we have a high level of dishonesty in, in those questions coming in, those patterns aren't gonna follow through. So it's almost like a bit of a built-in lie detector that we can kind of say, well, actually this doesn't make sense in terms of the science. There might be an element here of, of dishonesty or, or not being completely transparent. Um, and then the third thing we do with those insights is then actually follow it up with one-to-one -one interviews with staff to kind of run through the run through the results, run through what it means to them and try and get some more kind of context-based examples of, of what's actually going on. And again, all completely confidential. We never share the transcript of those interviews. We just share the high-level collective um, feedback That's, point. And, and I assume you tell people that like, hey, you know, if you were to put something like this in, we would pull that. So the, that's how you start to build that trust. So before they get the survey, they understand, like, put what you want, but we know to pull these kinds of things and all that stuff. Exactly. And it's, it is that education session as well. In terms of the leadership team, understanding that this is the deal, we're not going to point people out. We're not going to tell you anything like that. Giving that reassurance to the staff and also making the point that I'm a psychologist. I am bound by an organization of, of ethics if I break this, you can report me and I'm struck off. So it's not just, you know, we can't just assume that you've got the trust here is literally my profession and reputation on the line. If I don't follow through on this promise of confidentiality. This is so funny. I work for Scott and this, sorry, Scott, and I'll let you jump in is, um, Scott, it feels like they took your brain and they made a product out of it. Like I've watched you do mm -hmm. these things seriously, like in a, in a complimentary way, I've seen uh, you do this and been a part of that. And you're very conscious about culture and the confidentiality and building that and that safe trust stuff. So it's, it's. Well, it sounds like I actually learned something when I got my psychology degree. Yeah, so it does, it does. So uh, I think just, just one last addendum to that is that there are a lot of um, surveys out there varying from SurveyMonkey where you create your own engagement survey through to stuff like Office Vive and Qualtrics and which are good products, but they are algorithmically based. So people will, will will basically answer it, and then the algorithm will present you with a lovely report showing you the results. There's no, there's no one like the Anne in between that. There's no survey out there that does any kind of this kind of thing that has that buffer of someone who Leanne says is bound by ethics, who's gonna sit there and look at the results before they get presented to management. So that's the, like you said there, and you said, Scott, it just stops that identifiable data from going leaking back to management so they could immediately go well that's sandra clearly because she's been talking about a dog the right. trouble one piece of trouble though could be if the trust between employer and employee is broken enough i don't think people will be believe leanne i don't i, I i've i've felt that before it's like okay yeah sure this person has like their professional reputation online. Sure, they're not going to report back to you. Only if the culture is broken and so broken before somebody like that comes in. How do you get over that hump? Have you had to deal with that before where you're like, oh my God, 
these people don't trust a lick of what I'm saying. I have had scenarios where people are apprehensive. And again, it's kind of come down to that, the preparation we do before we launch the survey. So we know that we need to have the buy-in, not only the senior leadership team or the business owner, but the board. If we don't have their buy-in for this process, it's fucked from the start, there's no point. Secondly, it's kind of a case of, of sharing the facts, sharing how we approach it, sharing our methodology, reassuring them around kind of the, the data protection that, that we use um, in-house and, and how we'll translate that with the organization and their data. Um, and thirdly, I guess it comes down to a case of this transparency. And we always say to people that leaders, one, don't gather these insights if you don't intend doing anything about it because you're going to make this worse. You're going to, even though the culture is as bad as it can be, there's still, you can still go lower by asking people to help us out and then do nothing about it. And secondly, as an employee, this is, this is the moment. This is a moment where things could change, but we need your help to do this. And if you're completely out and you're not interested, that's your choice, but nothing will change. And I guess at that point, it's then, well, they, they're probably disengaged to the point where they're going to leave yeah, anyway. that was what I was wondering. Yeah, that's like, probably true. Yeah, you know, if it's that bad, those people might be out the door. Um, you know, and and which is fair, right? Like that's that's a that's a, a reasonable place. If I'm interviewing, right? If I'm a, particularly in sales, let's focus on the sales side. How do I know? How can I determine culture? You know, to see if because because you know I can't tell you. I'm sure you've heard it too oh, they promised me all this and they said it was this way and it's happened to me. Like, oh yeah, you have total control over your budget. Oh yeah, you can't spend $25, not kidding, without, like it really happened without, uh, I couldn't buy HubSpot email opener 10 years ago without getting approval for three people. Like, like <laughs> how do you define, how do you, how does I, how do I as an individual, if I'm interviewing at a company, try to figure out what the culture really is like? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think especially now as well where that power shift has happened and employees are asking this question, particularly the back end of, of 2022 when it was such a competitive market, at least in, in Europe. I think there are things that you can always dive into, even in terms of how what's been shared with you in terms of the job description, in terms of the benefits, in terms of, of the values that we hold here. And I think it's really kind of scrutinizing as, as much as you can at interview stage, probably more able later on in, in the stages, um, is actually saying, you know, you say that, um, you know, you, you have control over, over budget and you say that that's because it, it reinforces your value of being autonomous and bold. And, you know, can you give me an example of how this actually works in practice and maybe an example of where you're experiencing some troubles in in, in relating this down to the front line. I think as well, it's maybe even talking to, um, you know, great organizations, particularly sales organizations will also as part of their recruitment process have kind of opportunities where you get to meet the rest of the team and the rest of the peers. And I think it's often asking those people are probably gonna tell you a lot more honestly about how it actually looks on, on the front line. Um, but I think for me, any red flag, and this is and millennials and Gen Z are all over this already, we hate incongruence. Anything that doesn't match what we, we're, we're told with how it looks, red flag. So I think even if you might not be able to in an interview situation, nudge it down to the fact that you'll know how you can actually spend your sales budget. But there's even just the slightest thing that seems 
out of sync. For example, we pride ourselves on having excellent communication. And you, you know, you promise you're going to hear back about the next round in two days, but you don't hear back for four. Well, that's a, that's a flag. I think it's even just little things like that that can maybe start to pick out. Do you do what you say? I think if I was interviewing for a sales company, the first thing I'd do is would be inquire about the product they're selling before I even go to interview and just see how I'm treated as a customer or a prospect. Um, and that's probably going to tell us a lot about how they treat people. Um, because if you're not getting treated well there, well, you, it doesn't seem like you're going to get treated well if you're on the other end of the phone, does it? I never thought about that. That's so simple and smart. Like that's what kind of research should I do? Oh, I sat in on your sales call. <laughs> I had you. I had someone pitch me. How many sales leaders would be like, "Oh shit"? Scott, <laughs> so, what do you? What do you? And you hear this question, right? Because I, again, you have the psychology degree and you think about this stuff differently. What's your opinion of when you advise someone? Because I know you advise a lot of people too. What? How do you advise them to look for good culture? Because I think it's important. Um, I have not told people to go through the buying process. That's a really good idea. Um, I have advised people to talk to current customers, talk to past customers, talk to current employees, talk to past employees, um, rather than just take the word of the one person that you're talking to about what the culture is like. Um, I've also tried to encourage people to be really clear about what they want and what they don't want or what would feel uncomfortable for them. I'm actually somebody who believes that a person's own self-awareness is really critical to finding a good cultural fit for themselves. Like I know, for example, that I'm a super impatient person. So a bad culture for me would be trying to work at a big, huge company where it takes 11 signatures to change the water cooler. Like, I can't do that. There's no way, right? So that company's culture might not be bad. It just might be a bad fit for me. And, and I don't think people have defined that necessarily enough for themselves. So they unwittingly put themselves in a position that will cause them harm. So I've, I've tried to encourage that, you know, define it for yourself. What are exactly are you looking for? That's cool. I like it. Um, all right, here's that part, the awkward transition, right? Let's run an ad for chat, uh, for, for HubSpot's chat. Um, and by the way, Leanne and Al, y'all are more than welcome to correct me on, I do my ad. Well, what we should have done is we should have just had them read the ad. I thought about it. <laughs> I thought about that actually. I was like, oh, let's just have them do it for us, right? I think we talked the other day, we're gonna have Scott's mom come on and we're just gonna have her read it every time. Which yeah, is, she yeah. would love that, honestly. I know she would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so obviously, obviously, we want to give a, a shout out to HubSpot um, for bringing Scott and I into the HubSpot Podcast Network. We absolutely appreciate uh, Leanne and Alice. They're part of it, and they've given me advice offline. So please check out theirs as well, Truth, Lies, of more Police Culture. But uh, for HubSpot, um, they've started working on their, their AI side of things, right? They're incorporating chat GPT. Um, and they've got a conversational bot uh, for the CRM whiz that um, really can work on the fly, pull quick reports and data points. Um, it can help you with the prospecting emails, what are best prospecting emails. 
Uh, it can help you draft, draft them. Um, it can help you add notes, contacts into your CRM and find prospects. Uh, it can help you run the reports. As I understand it too, and I don't know if, if, if y'all have used it much, it'll also help you write some blog posts if you need it. Um, so it's it's pretty cool out there. What you know? How do you how how does my ad for you know HubSpot compare to yours? Or do you guys have like the pre-recorded thing and you drop it in? We record as the beginning of the month, and we put some fancy music at the bottom, at the back of it, like you know the nineteen sixties Batman, yeah, with, um, Adam <laughs> West is that kind of music, is yeah, that, is that drop. But um, but I liked I liked how natural yeah, yours was. Yeah. It was really so, cool. They're see Scott, they're way fancier than us. Everyone yeah. is fancier than us, right? I so, just want you to dial in Scott's mum and get him on the get her on the call yeah. so we can see how it how it compares. It would be yeah yeah. yeah. His we'll, mom we'll have to do that, and then I'll send you the recording, and she'll put all of us to shame. Right. In fact, we should just have her do all of them for HubSpot, Scott. That's what we'll do. <laughs> we'll have her roll it, and then we'll send it out to everybody in the network to say, Scott, Lisa's mom has read these ads for the month of May. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, a couple of things, too, if you are checking out, um, I think everybody should be, and if you're not, you're way behind uh, in using AI in your in your place. But... Uh, please be sure to check out HubSpot uh, AI at HubSpot.com slash artificial dash intelligence. HubSpot.com slash artificial dash intelligence. And I really wish they'd come up with a shorter URL there. I don't know if y'all found <laughs> one yet, but um, this is how we do it. And now I'm just trying to hit my 60-second requirement for HubSpot. So, um in all seriousness, we do appreciate what they're doing for the sales community, sharing knowledge. They have a ton of free resources. There's some stuff in our show notes. They've got some free sales tools, marketing tools as well. So go click the link in our in our uh, show notes for the episode. Um, coming back to culture, right? Um, what's it? What is it when? What's it like when you start to have those two different cultures? Right? I think you hit that number seventy-two. Right. Then you start to have, you know, the clicks. It's like all of a sudden it becomes high school. Right. Um, at least that's what we call it here. I don't know how it was in, in the UK, but how is a leader, if I'm a leader of leaders, I'm a CEO, I'm a founder and I'm growing. How do I allow those different cultures to exist? But, you know, try to try to not have the sales versus marketing, you know, negative culture and stuff like that. Like, what advice do we give to the higher up executives? Microcultures aren't necessarily a bad thing. Right. That's so what I'm trying to understand. How do I work them in a healthy way? Yeah. So long as they're not, they're not the complete opposite ends of each other. You know, if you've got one culture where, you know, customer is king and one culture where no one even thinks about customers, then that's going to have a, be a problem and cause tension in your business. I think it comes down to really... There can be a tendency as a business leader to have your vision, have your mission, have your values, put it on a wall, put it on the internet, uh, put it in your recruitment stuff and, and, and not really spend the time to think about what, how that translates into every role within the business. So if our value is to be bold, that's, that behaviors are probably going to look very different in the sales team in terms of business development and outreach than it might do in the finance team. You know, the finance team is working within some some you know regulations and and, and laws here so what we can do in terms of being bold might be quite different to the approach that a salesperson can take but actually define those 
those behaviors what are the characteristics of it what's an actual example of how that value looks in action in sales in marketing in finance and what's the mutual value for all of us as different functions to to share this value and share these behaviors um, as an organization again towards our mission delivery there's one thing that is coming out of the the research more and more now is that the people that are entering the the workplace and also beyond that given the i'm sorry is this a trigger word pandemic um, and the shifts of work that that we saw there um people are reevaluating what life means to them and they want to work to play a part of it but not all of it and i think if we can as, as leaders translate these values into individual behaviors across roles within the organization that we want to see these desired behaviors then also help each individual role understand how they are individually contributing to mission delivery then even if we do have these little pockets of micro cultures here and there collectively we're all on the same page well you've got that great story which i don't know whether it's true or not but um about jfk mm. and uh, you tell it because you tell it much better than i do i don't know if it is an urban legend I mean, you might have heard it the janitor who went to nasa so president kennedy visited nasa um, came across a janitor and said hello what's your job here and the janitor said i'm here to put a man on the moon mr president ah yeah i think i have heard that quote before so. and i think the cool the cool thing about that is that yes there's going to be a micro probably a micro climate amongst the janitors and cleaning staff um at nasa wherever where is that is it cape canaveral i can't remember where it is now um, so there's going to be that microclimate, and then there's going to be the boffins and the scientists who are working on massively. But as Leanne says, that core mission, you all know where you're going. You know that you, you, you respect each other for the jobs they do and how you contribute towards that mission. It's just one core mission. And yes, you possibly could have different microclimates. I mean, am I, am I talking out of term? No, no, spot on. I just caught so you look at me in the corner of my eye, I'm and I was impressed. like, oh. Very good. <laughs> I, I do listen to I you. Know. I do. Didn't know. We didn't even get into the what's it like to, you know, be married and do a podcast with somebody, right? Where, you know, uh, like I could, I could sit here for another hour and talk to you guys about, tell me more about this. You travel for six months and just do your job and, you know, live that dream. So um, I would love to, unfortunately, we're, we're kind of at the end, uh, but we always sort of turn it over to you. What questions do you have for us? What, you know, give us a question or two. I have one. And I just spotted it today, and I've not listened to it yet, but you had a, a lady, I think, called Katie on your podcast recently talking about sales, executive vice president of sales. Is it Katie, Katie McPhee? Katie uh, McPhee, I think. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I've never worked for an organization where there is an executive vice president of sales. Normally, there's like four of us in a room with four phones. So I'm, I'm intrigued. What, what is a culture like in a slightly larger organization of salespeople? I couldn't necessarily tell you because I've never worked in a company that had more than about 500 employees. That's still 100, 496 more than me. Touche, <laughs> touche. I, I would say um, that's where company culture really comes into play. Um, there's a lot of big companies where they have the best of intentions, but those individual fiefdoms come through right and that's where it becomes political that's where it's you know i've worked with very large organizations where they want to do things around sales support sales everything's being done for sales and it's being controlled by marketing 
And that marketing group never talked to a salesperson to say, is that the kind of community you want? What do you like in the community? Right. And it's done and the company, the organization as a whole, 100% supports the effort of what they're doing. They're fully behind it. The CEO's behind it. It's a big initiative. But people's specific KPIs drive them based on what they need to get done, not necessarily what's best. So it, it can start high in a certain way. Everybody still believes that. They all know they're going to the moon. But then there's this piece where unintentionally they don't do some of the right things. And then when you call them out, they get frustrated and they kind of go, well, whatever. And then if it doesn't work, people are like, well, yeah, we told you. <laughs> so, so I think the political stuff happens when it gets up there. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean it happens always in a negative way. I've, that's just what I've seen and experienced. I think too, that um, the best leaders go through, I think the things y'all are talking about. How do I make sure that my culture is there? How do I do that? Um, a good friend of ours um, used to run sales over at ZipRecruiter and he, you know, he built it from zero literally to 400 salespeople. And one of the pieces of advice he gave me a while back was, even though he managed through managers, he had backdoor conversations with people on the sales team to see what was going on. And he didn't, and I said, well, did you tell the managers you were doing that? He's like, no. And, and I said, well, what would happen if they found out? He, he, if they, he's like, well, if they came and told me, I'd be like, well, that's my job. Like, I'm not doing it to catch you off guard. I'm, I got to figure out what's going on. And then, and he was also very good at it. Kevin Gaither, if you don't know him, y'all should talk to him. You should probably have him on your podcast. Um, he, would, he was also smart enough to kind of go, oh, if that's what's happening, how do I address that without sort of calling somebody out? A little bit like what y'all are saying of like, how do I take that information and see what can I do to improve things without making it look like somebody tattletailed and it's this one particular team. So I, I think those are what, that's what the best leaders do in that space um, at that exec vice president level. I also think the last challenge and I'll, I'll shut up is, um, if it's, I think you said earlier, if it's not company-wide, right, that's a challenge. Like when you see, you know, someone come in and, and, and Scott, I know you haven't been in that big company, but I know how you build culture. You build it in such a way that it's great for the sales team. And you try, I know you, you try to get the rest of the company on board. You try to get them to do not what sales does, but find the right things to motivate their own team. And they just don't do it. And then that's why I, that's why I always left. <laughs> yes. That's why I never got beyond 500 out. <laughs> right. So, um, and I think those, are, I think that's what I see happen the most um, at that level. But and tell you to call Katie and have her on and ask her the question though. Might be the right, you know, for you guys. So, Yeah, anyway. I'll listen to her, uh, her podcast episode when I walk the dog tomorrow. That'll yeah. be a good one. Cool. Well, thank you both again for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, we'd certainly come on yours too. We, you know, love it. Uh, so everybody, please go check out uh, Truth Lies and Workplace Culture with Leanne and Al Elliott. I'm not sure what country they're in at the moment, but they travel and change countries every six months. So uh, thank you, everybody. And uh, we will see you next time. Thank you so thank much. You. Got it.